This is an AMI podcast. Hey guys, Stephen here from Double Tap. It is Monday. It is the 27th of November, 2023. And coming up on the show today, I'm joined for the hour by blind journalist and author Robert Kinjit to learn all about him and his life. You're listening to Double Tap, your daily accessible technology show. Now, here's your host, Stephen Scott. No Sean Priest today, just me, but I am joined by a very special guest today who is with me for the hour, and I hope this will be an enlightening and interesting conversation for lots of you. We are joined today by totally blind author and accessibility consultant Robert Kinjit. He's known as the blind journalist among his friends and others. It's good to have you with us today, Robert. Uh, well, thank you for having me. I It's been a good morning to come on to the podcast. So, <laughs> yay. And, and it's interesting because you and I spoke, I think the last time you've been on the show with me was on the old show when I was at RNIB. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, th- I think you actually either wrote or or talked about um, reading the off the grid memoir uh, that I did um, years ago about me. Um, well, uh, living off the grid as a blind right. man. Yes, that's right. That's exactly it. I was trying to remember what the because there was actually two contexts. There was there was another aspect of your story which we're going to talk about, which is something I'm very passionate about as well, and that's audio description. And um, I think we can lay at your feet um, partly the reason why Netflix in particular has so much audio description on there. Um, <laughs> we, I think we can praise you for this. So we'll, we'll get into all that. I want to talk about all that because there's so much so much of your story. Um, many people will know you as, as the blind journalist, um, and you've been around for a long time. Um, oh, no, that, not that long. I don't mean you're old, you know, but you know, you've been around for a while, as as, as we all have. <laughs> at the at the time of this recording, I'm in my early 30s. Oh, so God, that, actually, this sounds that worse was... when I say it now. I think, oh, God, I'm in my 40s. <laughs> I feel I feel like I, maybe it's just me. Maybe I feel like I've been around forever. Maybe that's what it is. Um, but, you know, you've been doing this for a long time, and your name has certainly become synonymous with, you know, good quality reporting and getting to the heart of an issue and also really advocating. And that's a word that comes up a lot on our show. Um, I've been accused of it. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and it's interesting because I wonder what advocacy means to you, because it does come up a lot on our show. People talk about their role and, and, and life. And, and essentially, as a, as a blind person, for example, you know, a lot of people feel they maybe don't want to advocate. They maybe feel they should, but they, they don't know how to. And even if they, even if they do want to, but how did you get into it? How did it start for you? So it's it's kind of interesting because, I mean, of course, as you know, being blind, you can't really get away from the advocacy as much as you would like to. So there's going to be some aspect of you advocating, even if you don't want to be the advocate or you don't want to be the spotlight or things like that. You um, just by living your own 
truth in your own existence, you're you're actually doing a bit of advocating. When I was um, younger and in my early 20s, I thought that advocacy meant to literally enact change on a grand sweeping scale. But my view of advocacy has changed a a lot. Um, And that came from a lot of a lot of self-reflection a lot of like introspection and um and just a a, a a lot of rethinking what advocacy is and everything especially in this uh social media world that we all live in now um so like i said i had a very, very different view of what advocacy was, and now that entirely changed. Um, so now I think advocacy is just a, the little things that you educate people on. Uh, for example, I think advocacy can be just a small exchange of explaining to someone, this is how I use a computer. So you're imparting knowledge onto that previously ignorant individual. And then um, maybe I'm just naive or hopeful, but then maybe (laughs) they would take that knowledge and then use it to educate someone else. Now, they might not get it exactly as you would living with a disability, but they're trying to educate others. So just one small, tiny interaction like that, I think if you do enough of it, I really think it could change the world. So you don't have to be a public figure you don't have to um you don't have to go to campaigns and i think that you don't have to be um extremely loud and extremely aggressive and um i think that advocacy is just imparting some disability wisdom on to other people that don't have a disability and they can learn from you. Uh, uh, But that, like I said, it was a very, very lengthy transformation. So when I was younger, I was very, um, very much, um, very much, Kind of the loudest stereotypical stereotypical activist. I still embody some of that because I am human. So some issues really, really get me fired up and re- like I'm really, really 
passionate about a few things. But mm. for the most part, I think that um, I think we're looking at advocacy all wrong when we're talking about what the um, general media constitutes as advocacy, right? Does it mean marching or protesting or does it mean um, letting others into your world through art or conversation or 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 beers or something at a late night uh, party or something? It's, it's so interesting because I think a lot of advocacy has become quite adversarial in its approach. And I think that that's something which I think there's time for that. I think it is absolutely right that there are times when that is necessary. Uh, but equally, and most of the time, especially for us as blind people, just, just focusing in on us alone for a second, you know, I think sometimes it is just about us talking to other people. And, you know, it, it's, it's often said, you know, it's not up to us to educate the world. I, I kind of think it is, actually. I kind of feel it is in some ways. Is, because who else is going to tell anyone? If we don't tell anyone, no one else will. And the people who we don't want to educate i.e. people who don't have a disability, will do the advocating on our behalf. And you know, I grew up in that world, as I'm sure you did. And yes. um, it's, not, it's not, a great, not a great world when other people start telling, you know, you have a non-disabled person telling another non-disabled person what it's like to be disabled. Yes, yeah, exactly. And then this really gets into the murkiness of things. And it really, um, I... You know, humans will be human, and they love kind of being in the spotlight, even if it's for 20 seconds. Um, Everyone wants to feel like they're doing something good, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's just when you, so, I mean, I know I'm speaking to the choir here, but, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but, um, but. When you are trying to be an ally for someone, um, I, I truly think the first thing you should do is maybe it, it is maybe think that uh, 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 are my words or it, it, it is my point of view askew because I simply don't live in this world or simply don't have a disability and what would be most effective would it be for me to um to to get up on a grand stage if you will not like a casual conversation i i i'm talking about like a literal platform like mm. a media platform or or like an art uh platform or something and then try to articulate what something you only have a vague knowledge about or or or, or since you know that we're uh, under represented in pretty much all, 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 all 
facets of things. Uh, maybe, maybe you should contemplate whether or not you should maybe let them have the platform. Now, going going back to your your comment that you made about the the connections that we can all make every day, individual connections that we can make, where a lot of the true advocacy really comes from. Let's be honest; it's changing individuals' uh, minds or preconceptions, whatever it might be. And you talk about computers and tech, and I actually think this is where the bridge is between disabled people and non-disabled people. Technology can be a great bridge because we all use it. It's something we all use every day. And if you can talk to someone, and we've had examples, people have written into the show and said, you know, I, I was on a train, I was talking to someone, and I showed them how I use my phone, and I showed them how a screen reader works. And, you know, the first question, I get this all the time whenever I've done this, I always get the question of, oh, is it bolted on? Is it an add-on? Is it something that Apple produced? Just do you get like a special Apple iPhone that we don't get? And I'm like, no, it's the same one you have. And they're always blown away by that. And my take, my, my one thing I always want them to leave them with is that if you ever meet someone in your life who's, who's going blind or you yourself learn that you're going blind, just know that the technology can come with you. And that sticks with people because then they realize that link between you and them, right? The link is that this is not something, disability doesn't just happen to other people. It happens to all of us. We can be temporarily disabled. We can be permanently disabled. We can be disabled by situations. You know, disability is a lot more than just a category or a condition, right? I, so I do kind of have a dark uh, sense of humor, but uh, but I like to um, joke a little bit that we're all temporarily abled. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's good. I like that. So, so, like, whether due to age or a freak accident or something of that nature, some obscure um, accident or something, y you could, um, like in my case, uh, you could quite literally just wake up one morning and have the vision that you've depended on how limited as it as it was just go away um i uh i guess i could say i was a victim of glaucoma i'm not a medical expert by any means whatsoever but i was um legally blind up until um up until my late 20s where uh it was my birthday and i woke up and so when i could see i hopped in the shower and everything and then when i got out of the shower i noticed that everything was really dark um so i was legally blind so i could see well i'll just throw out 
uh, numbers in the hopes that you all will uh, get the visual acuity. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. my numbers were uh, 2,200 uh, in, in my left eye. And then in my right eye, I, I didn't have any uh, kind of vision at all. So no light perception. So when I got into the shower, I could see my normal um, tw uh, 2200 um, vision. And then when I got out, the lights were completely shut off. And at first, I'm like, oh, are we having a a, a power outage or something? And then other people are like, no, we're not having a power outage at all. I'm like, okay, I think I need to go to the emergency room. Like, wow. let like I mean, it was literally like it, someone switched the light off. Right. Yeah. Literally. So I mean, so that's really, really made me um, really, really think that okay, we are all just uh, temporarily abled. Um, yeah, that's incredible. And, yeah. Oh well. It's, what, what age were you when that happened? I was uh, twenty-eight. Okay, so fairly recent then. Yes, uh, yes, fairly recent, and um, and I and as a result, I had to uh, quickly uh, learn um, Braille because up until this point, you know, I I I. I went through life uh reading uh large print um material i could read small print uh, but i had to be kissing the, the book or the screen mm -hmm. in order to yeah. see mm -hmm. uh small print so um so i so i didn't have any braille instruction when I was younger. Upon thinking about it, I wish I did. I wish I was more proactive and I wish I took braille lessons, even though I can see, could uh, see, because um, learning braille um especially as you're an adult is extremely hard I, I cannot express how difficult it is to learn so i, I hear you robert i hear you i'm i'm there right now and i i'm struggling with grade two i really i mean grade one it's interesting for me, right? I've told this story before, so people know this, but, you know, I learned grade one at school only because a teacher was learning at that point. And she she was learning to become a, a Braille teacher. And she said, can you be my guinea pig? And I said, sure. And, you know, I'm a kid, right? What do I know? So I said, yeah, fine, whatever. And I did grade one. And I was just about to start grade two. And then she was snapped up by another school and off she went. And 
I really wish I had learned grade two because even though I wouldn't have used it, what I learned was later in life when I came back to it and I said, I really need to learn this, it was all there. You know, grade one was there. It was locked up inside. I was when I when I started doing the training, I'm like, actually I know this. But grade two obviously I didn't learn, so that's the challenge. And I'm with you. I just I, and, and this is a campaign of mine. This is a real this is like you with your, your accessible media project, right? This is for me, this is the number one issue that should be in every school for visually impaired children, and that is that they must learn Braille alongside learning computers, audio, all that stuff. Learn everything. Give them all the tools because they've got the brains to take it in. Yes, wholeheartedly. I mean, no matter how much residual vision you have, I truly, truly think that everybody really, really, really needs to learn Braille. Yeah, Um, I totally agree. No matter how much you can see... Or, or if you can see large print or not. I and, am... and, and can I say something else? I, I, have, I have to say this. Don't ask the kids. They treat <laughs> kids today, like honestly, they treat kids nowadays like, you know, they've got the answers to everything. I was a kid once, right? I know what it was like. I knew nothing. And if you said to me, you don't have to do something, I would take it because I'd say, great, I'd have to do something. Because you're a kid. <laughs> Right, you want to sit around and muck about. Now, you don't really want to be sitting, you know, studying constantly. Some do, but most don't. And right. you know, so don't give the kids a choice. <laughs> Seriously, well, teach the kids braille. Yeah, yes, definitely. In this case, anyway, in this particular case, um, the kids should should not have a choice everybody should learn yeah i agree braille um and in other things i i i I truly think that kids and teens have the the capability of having more agency and more like i just think that we need to give them a little bit more credit about other things but in this particular instance, uh, yes, absolutely, Braille is required. Uh, no, no, um, uh, no questions asked. You're not getting out of it. Uh, <laughs> yes, you're, you're getting. You're, this yeah. class is happening, whether you like it or not. And right. honestly, the, the value is is there, right? Because in in the future, if they need it, they've got it. And and like me, you know, when you go back to it twenty years later, and you realise it's all locked up in your head, and you can use it, that's actually pretty pretty impressive. And it's kind of it kind of shows it proves that you know just having it there, even if you don't use it right away. You never know, and you cannot predict what's going to happen with your vision. They told me that I would never lose any more vision, and then I did. So That's the same thing with me. Many, many doctors have told me, oh, you're good, so you'll have 2,200 yeah. your whole life. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, my birthday rolls around it's like oh happy birthday 
Yeah. Happy <laughs> so. birthday. Lights out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's lots more conversation where that came from. Uh, stick around because Robert Kinjit is back with us in the next half of the show. He'll also be with us tomorrow as well as we continue uh, hearing about his life and his story. And it's always really nice every so often just to spend time in the company of people who are doing great work, doing uh, great things, but also have a story to tell uh, which you know explains a lot of why what they do is what they do. So really, really looking forward to hearing more from Robert in a few moments' time. Uh, I just wanted to drop in as well to say that uh, I, I just don't know what to say other than thank you to all of you who have been contributing and continuing to tribute, contribute to our holiday gift guide. Uh, it is available now at doubletaponair.com. And for those of you who have contributed, you will know already the power of it. Uh, some of you are just so excited to be adding and, and just keep adding more and more. And it's brilliant because I think it is building not just a, a gift guide for the holidays, but actually a resource that will be useful to everyone all year long. And I just wanted to say a few words about it because when we started it, we didn't really know what we were doing. <laughs> Nothing new here at Double Tab, right? We'd, we thought we'd start. We thought we would try this. We'd see what kind of reaction we would get, and we'd go from there. Uh, we didn't quite expect the, the number of responses we've had and also the ideas that it's given us as well in terms of what we can do with content going forward. So really interesting uh, to note that we are going to be doing a special episode of Double Tap, all about the gift guide. In fact, not just one, but two episodes featuring the items you guys are talking about. So if you want to get your name mentioned, if you want to get your gift mentioned in that holiday gift guide episode, uh, or one or both of those episodes, then uh, do get involved now. You can fill out the form. It's nice and simple, fully accessible to all of us with screen readers, uh, hopefully uh, for all of you as well, hopefully for the sighted people. Hopefully the sighted people can join in this as well because it's not just for blind people, but it has been built for us. So you can be sure that the uh, website and the form is accessible. A huge thank you to Damasi Thomas and Michael Babcock for building that form using a tool called Gravity Forms, which uh, they were able to do uh, into our WordPress site. So thank you so much to you two for that. But also, thank you to every one of you who've been filling in the form. And the great thing with the form is you, you fill it out, you put in your gift, you put in a, a little description, a little explainer why you've chosen it, and you can put in the web address as well where you can go get it. So if you've bought it from a link online, uh, or a shop online, or you're aware of it, then uh, put it on there. And even if it's just a Black Friday thing, that's fine. I mean, we expect the prices will change on things over time. But it's really just about building a, a list, essentially, of the products, the tools we use every day, the things that, that perhaps other people don't think about. And the first one up there is, is by someone called John. That was me, by the way. That was me testing. You might have guessed. But the table coaster was my thing. Uh, because obviously I love the table coaster. I never stopped talking about it. But it's just an example of something that wouldn't come up in regular conversation, would it? It wouldn't come up as a regular thing to have a think about when it comes to, you know, all blind-related technology. Well, first off, it ain't technology. It's a piece of plastic with a hole in it. But at the end of the day, it can make a huge difference to our lives. It can save money. Instead of continually buying new laptops when you spill the coffee over it, you can keep your coffee safe while you're using your laptop, that kind of thing. So thank you to all of you who've been contributing. Keep that coming. As I say, we're going to have two special episodes coming up. More details uh, to come on that, but we'll have two special episodes of the Holiday Gift Guide focusing in on all the things you've been contributing 
I think Sean and I are, we, we kind of thought we'd, we'd lean off it and we would see if you guys want to contribute, but I'm kind of getting a bit jealous, so I want to dive in too. So you're going to see some more suggestions coming up under my name and Sean's as well. Uh, so yeah, we look forward to uh, those suggestions being added. Uh, but if you want to contribute, just go to the homepage of doubletaponair.com and uh, click on our uh, submit to gift guide link and it'll take you to the form but it also takes you to the page where all the other suggestions are and it's a growing list so add your suggestions and uh, we look forward to reading out your ideas for the holiday gift guide a little later this year uh, that is it though uh, for this half we'll be back in just a moment with more from Robert Kinjit. This is Double Tap. Now, back to the show. It's great to have your company today. Stephen Scott with you today. Sean Priest is away. But we are talking today to Robert Kinjit, the blind journalist, about his life. And he's telling us a lot about his story. And some of the story will contain elements that may be disturbing to some people and upset some people as well. So I want to make you aware of that. Uh, it was a really interesting and uh, in-depth discussion that lasted the hour, and I'm so glad Robert gave us his time. Let's get back to the conversation. You and I have very different uh, experiences growing up in terms of education, right? Because when I was going to school, my mother fought constantly for me to go to mainstream school. She wanted me in mainstream education. She did not want me in specialist education. She would do everything she could to try and keep me out of specialist education. She had her reasons. Um, but you, you were quite the opposite. You were, you were like, I don't want mainstream. I want to be in specialist education. I want to be a blind school. What was the reasoning behind that? Yes. Yes. So, so I, so going back to, uh, to kids, not having agency, I, I think. <laughs> so I w was v very um, well. The adults at the time they always used the term precocious, like "oh, you're extremely precocious." Um, I was extremely driven and and I was certainly not like other um kids my own age I basically grew up an old soul so I came out of the womb a 90 year old <laughs> man um you know, but, very similar, Robert. We're very similar. <laughs> but I rejected mainstream education uh, for a very, very, very particular reason. And this is going to be interesting to a lot of people because they might see uh, blindness as a huge hindrance and they might not want to be around other blind people um but when i was inundated in a uh, blindness school that didn't just give me the social freedom that i would not have at a, a mainstream school um it gave me the freedom to learn from other blind people and i could do it on my own terms and everything i could joke with 
other blind people. I could kind of be amongst um, other blind people and the community that they afforded me. I really, really wanted to be um, educated. I didn't want to. I didn't want to have to do a lot of advocating for my basic needs because I knew that mainstream school uh, there would be no one else around like me. So I wanted to be around other blind people so that I could learn from them. And, um, and not only that, I mean, just socialize and not worry about, um, being the only blind person in the room. I could go to a blind school and know that everybody in there shares the same, the same community as I do. And so I wouldn't feel isolated at a blind school. I knew that I would gain the technology knowledge to do other types of advocating when I got out of the blind school. But I was very, very adamant um, to do not put me yeah, in mainstream school, um, here in America, we sort of have three tiers of school before college. So you got your um, elementary school, which is kind of like primary. Um, so that's um, – and then – you have middle school, and then you have high school, and then uh, college. So um, college is the highest form of education um, here in America. But uh, so so I, I knew that college was going to be the ultimate. Uh, challenge because I was going to have to be an advocate in college and I was going to have to um, going to have to do a lot of educating so I really wanted my primary going experience to be around other blind people so that they could impart wisdom onto me uh, directly or indirectly so that I could have the necessary tools to to be a um, to be a driving force for when I got out of school I mean it, it, that is such an incredible perspective at that age to think in those terms. You know, because what, what incredible forward thinking to, to think, okay, I'll, I'll get to all that advocacy. It was almost like you knew it was coming. And a lot of us wouldn't have had the, the forethought to even think that was, you know, what would be down the road. You, you were thinking 
10, 15 years down the road at that point. Yes, yes. I cannot tell you how many strange looks that I've received when I was vehemently against going into mainstream school um, before college. Um, everybody thought I had a few screws loose up there, but... <laughs> but I, I think um, it's quite the opposite by the sounds. I think the screws were well tightened, to be honest. I mean, it sounds to me that your head was firmly screwed on. <laughs> oh, well, thank you very much. <laughs> um, there were people, um, there are people today that um, try to hide their blindness at all costs. They don't use a cane and until it's absolutely necessary, they don't. And I, I mean, um, so me not learning Braille, that was actually a poor judgment on on my part and my immediate uh, family's part. Because on the one hand, I had this great. Uh, kind of foresight. And on the other, I trusted people when they said, oh, you're going to have 2200 vision for your whole life. So that was a grave misstep in an otherwise, I would like to think, grounded uh, perspective. Perspective. I think but, you should. I think you should cut yourself some slack. To be perfectly honest, I think you you made some pretty sensible decisions, and you can't you can't possibly know everything that's coming down the track. So I think I think you made the decisions you felt were right at the time, and and they certainly have have born to be good decisions. Um, I want to ask you a little bit about home life because you haven't mentioned much about that. You've talked a lot about education. You've talked a lot about your design and work. But what was the home? What was home life like? So. My home life was actually very, very, very rough. I grew up um, <clears throat> so for the uh, totally blind listeners and audience. Um, I, I I am a white male. Um, some say that I look like Will Wheaton, uh, which I've n- never heard before but i guess um <laughs> okay uh, <laughs> i don't know who so, that is so uh, let's just say you do there you go <laughs> right um he's a popular um he's a popular actor uh star trek oh well that's why so, i don't know because i know nothing about star trek if that's the pedal bin with the tinfoil friend maybe that's the other one i get mixed up right but um but my home life, um, so even though um, even though I might have the dashing looks of Will Wheaton, according to other people, <laughs> that um, I still had to overcome a lot, and that started at home. Um, so. 
at home, it was a constant uh, battleground, a constant emotional and physical battleground that I had to navigate uh, daily. My mother was a single mother, and um, and she had extreme uh, extreme drug addiction. And knowing what I do now, I know that addiction is a type of severe uh, mental uh, illness that you can't just snap out of. You have to uh, work really hard to overcome it. But back then, I, I didn't know any better. So... The only thing I knew was that she was making th these choices, which really harmed me. Um, she was a heavy drinker, and she did all kinds of drugs. You name it, um, she did it. Um, it was a very, very rough time at home. There was a, a, a lot of beatings. There was a lot of nights where we would go hungry, um, me and my brother and sister, because our mother simply did not come home at a reasonable time. Um, she was a single parent, so I never met my dad. Um, he knew I existed and he knew where I was, but um, he just never made any sort of effort to reach out and to connect on that level. And even to this day, I don't know what went on in in his head. I don't know. Um, the reasons why he just left and has made no attempt at contact because I'm a public figure. So it's, it's very easy to find me, but, um, but my home life was constant, uh, constant abuse, uh, from the physical abuse to the emotional uh, abuse. There was a lot of verbal uh, abuse. So I had to navigate a whirlwind of emotions daily. And I, 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 I think uh, th th that's what afforded me such such keen uh, uh, observations and insights about the world early on, because I got a crash course in the darker side of the world, and I had to learn how to navigate th that. Uh, sometimes with 
grit and grace, uh, sometimes with very messy, messy explosions, uh, sometimes with, with actions that I deeply regret uh, now. Um, like, for example, I would steal food from uh, other kids at school um, just so that I could have a safety net from, um, for those You were going hungry, times. Robert. You were going hungry. I mean, it, you, weren't, you weren't doing this out of malice. You were doing this to, to eat. And to survive. Yeah. Yeah. So it was very, very hard on a lot of us. Um, I and me and my brother and sister as well. So it was, I mean, yes, I was in survival mode, but someone else could have been in that same survival mode and I could have yanked out their survival um, blanket as well. So try to keep things into perspective. Um, uh, it's, it's, inter it's interesting hearing you talk because I, I hear someone who, you know, is now very clear to me why you grew up so quickly because you were in such a turbulent world and also a world which with so much turbulence comes a desire I think to control not other people necessarily but your own life your own existence you know to have control of your world because of that turbulence you don't no one can live inside that comfortably no no and you hit the now on the head i mean have you thought about going into psychology <laughs> <laughs> well all I'll, all I'll say to that is you know you're not alone let's put it that way right i know so i know now i'm not alone but back then i truly 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 felt like i was alone hmm. because um because with so much turbulence, um, you can't you can't really you can't really empathize with a lot of people. You're in survival mode, so so you're thinking about yourself, and you're thinking, how do I gain control from this constant well like you said how do i gain control from the, the, this constant uh roller coaster that just never ever seems to end um it it's um but of course now that i'm older there is a lot of people like me that are uh, crying out 
in silence. They might be suffering in silence and have nobody to to turn to. Um, that was uh, me uh, uh, up to a point. Um, and till it got to be too much for me to handle on my own. So, so I approached a friend at school and, and she had no idea that this was even happening. I approached her at school and I said, um, we really need to have a talk um, because I, I need help. Uh, and, um, and so we talked and I told her everything. I told her about the bruises on me. I told her about why um, I why I seemed so quiet and so uh, so shut in all the time. I told her why I really, really needed um, her help. And, um, and if she could ask her mother to just let me stay with her it, it, until I graduated high school. I, so my plan was to get stable enough for me to sort of move on after um, high school and going into college. But that was, that was um, obviously plans changed. Uh, and, and one night turned into one year and two years and more than five years. I stayed with this family that just opened up their doors to me in so many ways and um and they actually given me the foundation to carry on and to uh and to be the very loud activist i am today <laughs> no i'm joking but they uh, but the quiet they, advocate the, the quiet activist that's what we'll call you yeah yeah exactly the quiet activist that makes other people go hmm i've never thought about it that way before um it's yeah so it was so i guess you could say i have i'm um my so one of my many uh strengths and I, 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 I actually have this on my uh resume is uh bringing order to chaos and there is so much um, meaning in that one 
a sentence that nobody is going to really um, know except for uh, me. Uh, but I, 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 I managed a, a, a lot of things. Um, a lot of things that might seem extremely inconsequential to you, but for me, they were life-changing. So I, so even though I was labeled precocious, um, there wasn't a lot of affordances for me to study at home. So my grades were mostly in the in the low B's or high C's. Um, so I, I, I never, uh, I never really excelled at school, uh, but I wasn't terrible at school neither. The only thing I really excelled in was in two kind of areas, and th th those were uh, technology and English. Um, strictly because I've always had a creative uh, side. Like, I love uh, creating stories and worlds and characters. And from a technology side, I think it harkens back to your uh, your extremely accurate uh, pinpoint of control. Uh, so technology gave me the opportunity to control a control a a, a, a device that wasn't afforded to me in life. So I knew uh, from a very, very early age that if I just learned how technology worked, then I could control that technology. So I think it's why I dove head first into uh, creative pursuits and technology. I'm blown away by you, Robert. I really am, and for a, for a whole host of different reasons. But um, honestly, if I, if I was in front of you, I'd give you a big hug, Robert. I, honestly, I would give you a big hug. I Listen, thank you so much for coming on. It means a lot. Thank you for having me. Yeah, what a great opportunity to catch up with Robert Kinjit today on the show. And there'll be another chance to hear Robert as he joins us once again tomorrow as he continues talking about his professional career, the work he does. Really looking forward to delving into all of that. Just a reminder, if you'd like to join the conversation here at Double Tap, you're always welcome. You can uh, get in touch. Feedback at doubletaponair.com is our email address. You can call one 803 4567 
and uh, join the conversation by uh, leaving us a voicemail. You can do that as well. Uh, or find us on social media. We are quite literally everywhere. So <laughs> do check us out on X, on Mastodon. And I think we're even coming to Facebook. We're working out all that as well. And hey, don't forget that uh, gift guide as well. Keep contributing to that as you've been doing. DoubleTapOnAir.com is where you'll find that. I'm back tomorrow speaking more with Robert Kinjit. Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.